Our scripture reading this morning is from Acts chapter 20, verses 17 to 38. If I give you the page number, it's only applicable to those who have a large print Bible, because that's all I have in front of me. So, uh, but Acts chapter 20, the words will be on the screen as well, uh, but if you please stand for the reading of God's word. Acts twenty seventeen. Now from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me that in every city imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who are with me. In all things, I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. This is God's word. Be seated. And let's pray and ask God to guide us this morning. Gracious Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. Lord, would you make us a people who are quick to listen, eager to to hear what you have to say, and humble and and ready to receive it, to believe it, to obey it by the strength that you alone supply. 
in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is probably no surprise to anyone here that I am not much of a runner. I think I have divulged that secret in the past, um, which brings a certain level of insecurity working on the staff here with two Boston Marathon completers, Travis and Drew. But I have resigned myself to be content in the glory of their, in the shadows of their glory, and to take my proper place on the sideline cheering uh, as they run. Because, again, I'm just not much of a runner. However, I used to be somewhat of a runner. Uh, Believe it or not, I was part of the 4x400 relay team for the Aurora Middle School track team. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Finally, the recognition I've been waiting for all of my life. And we were actually kind of good. And, And... we were pretty good. We, we placed oftentimes. Now, I'm not going to tell you how many other schools were competing in those competitions, and I'm not saying it's because of me that we, repla- that we placed, uh, but we did all right. And, and as anyone who's been part of a relay team will tell you, the most critical component in that event uh, of that race is not necessarily how fast each person is, uh, but how solid the handoff is that the team executes. Uh, When we would practice, we would run drills practicing the handoff more than we did anything else. The sprints, the conditioning, that was the most critical component because you can have the four fastest people in the state, but if you can't execute a smooth, solid handoff, you're never going to win a race. Well, what we have in our passage this morning is kind of like that. We have a handoff in leadership between the Apostle Paul and the elders at the church in Ephesus. This story, we've been making our way through Acts, looking at selections, and this story brings us into what we often call Paul's third missionary journey. Uh, As he was returning to Antioch at the end of his second missionary journey, Antioch was kind of home base for Paul as he would go out and and, and uh, preach the gospel and start churches. Um, on, at, toward the end of that second journey, as he was returning back to Antioch, he stopped off in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, and, and preached the gospel in the synagogues there. And then later in chapter 19, as he sets off on his third journey, that brings him, he returns to Ephesus, where he ends up spending two or three years there, building on the ministries of others who'd been preaching there, Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila. And over those two years, we're told, or after those two years, we're told in chapter 19, verse 20, that Paul resolved in the Spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Paul's plan was never to stay in one place for too long. He had a mission to make Christ known wherever he wasn't known, and and he wanted to get to Jerusalem, and then he ultimately wanted to get to Rome. And so he, he realizes that it's time to move on. And so in chapter 20, he heads to Macedonia. And he he visits some of the churches that he had been involved in to kind of strengthen and establish them greater. Uh, And then he makes his way toward Jerusalem, and he's hoping to make it there by Passover. 
So he doesn't have a ton of time. And he decides, even though he kind of has to go back through the area where Ephesus is, where he just spent two or three years there, he decides to sail past Ephesus. Uh, he doesn't have time to stop there and, and see everyone again. But he does want to take one last opportunity to uh, encourage the leaders there. And so while he's stopped in Miletus, which is a coastal town, he asks for the elders of the church of Ephesus to travel and meet him there. And here in Miletus, Paul gives what is essentially his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders, which not only gives us kind of a window into Paul's ministry, it also shows us, it demonstrates the standard and pattern for the church's ongoing care as the apostles hand the baton off to the elders of the local churches. This is a passing of the baton. So you think about it, the apostles who were the eyewitnesses of Jesus' resurrection, they were the ones entrusted with the gospel and, and to preach it. Those guys aren't going to live forever. So, so how is the church going to be nurtured and cared for and invested in and protected for generations to come? The apostles hand that leadership, that oversight, that shepherding responsibility to the elders of each local church and commend them, instruct them to hold fast to the Word of God. That's their plan for the church's ongoing health. That's what we see in this handoff, that, that the ongoing health of the church requires the faithful ministry of God's Word. That's how the church is going to stay healthy and grow and move forward without that first generation of apostles. And so that's what we have in this story, this handoff, this farewell speech. Now, I'm not about to make comparisons between Paul here handing the baton to the Ephesian elders and the fact that I am leaving Westgate soon. Um, for starters, I'm not an apostle. Hopefully you all rel realize that already. Uh, I am one of the elders at Westgate, and, and so I sh this is a baton that we already share that Christ has entrusted to us, and so even though there's a leadership change, that shepherding responsibility has already rested with the elders of the church, and that doesn't change when you change lead pastors. Uh, second, I am not willing to concede that I will never see your faces again. Um, so, you know, obviously I can't control that, but, you know, we very much anticipate continuing a relationship, visiting. You're all welcome to visit us in Cedar Rapids, though not all at the same time. We wouldn't be able to accommodate that. But um, So this is not uh, an exact parallel by any stretch. But it's hard not to see some similarities. We are going through a leadership transition. That does mean, uh, you know, that does create some differences and some insecurities at times and, and, and whatnot. Uh, we're entering a season of transition. And so I do think, though it's not an identical situation, it is a good idea to pay careful attention to what Paul says here in this story. Uh, as we think about Westgate's future and as we think about the kind of lead pastor that you all are looking for. The health of the church requires the faithful ministry of God's Word. And Paul outlines three standards for faithful leadership in his farewell speech. First, 
faithful proclamation of God's word in verses 18 to 27. The second is careful shepherding of God's flock in 28 to 31. And the third is dependence on God and the word of his grace in verses 32 to 35. Three standards, three marks of faithful leadership. And we're going to start with the faithful proclamation of God's word, verse 18. What's interesting is that Paul kind of instructs them on how to lead by pointing to his own example of leadership. He holds himself up in his ministry among them as the example, which for some of us might seem kind of cheeky and arrogant, like to make himself like the example. But if you think about it, when leadership and mentorship works well, that's exactly what you should be able to do, right? To be able to say, lead the way that I've shown you. I've modeled this, now it's your turn. So that's what he's doing here. And in doing so, amid everything that he might point to in his own life, what he emphasizes is the faithful ministry of God's Word. Notice how many times in verses 18 to 27 that he refers to speaking God's Word, declaring, teaching, testifying, testifying, proclaiming, declaring, Over and over again, he talks about his teaching ministry. More specifically, he attests that his ministry of the word was both undeterred by trials and unreserved in content. He did not give up and he did not hold back. He was faithful in teaching God's word. And so first, he was undeterred by trials. Paul reminds them how All of the hardships that he faced did not cause him to pull back or shrink from his responsibility. He testifies in 18 to 21 what the elders themselves know. I mean, they were with him. How he served the Lord with all humility, with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, the the Jewish leaders who were trying to take his life on multiple occasions. Now, through none of that did I shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable. The suffering that he endured did not cause him to close his mouth as a preacher. Uh, Sometimes when you do something that results in pain, uh, you resolve not to do that thing again, right? I mean, you touch the hot pan, it's like, bad idea, not going to do that. You send a critical email to a colleague that fires back on you, bad idea, not going to do that again. But hardship did not close Paul's mouth in preaching God's word. It didn't do so in Ephesus, and he tells them it's not going to do so in Jerusalem or wherever wherever else God sends me. I mean, the Spirit has testified to him. Hardship awaits. But look at his resolve in verse 24. I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul is willing to lose everything to faithfully preach God's word, to testify to the gospel of his grace. He is undeterred by trials. And he's unreserved in content. He is not only faithful to keep preaching despite the hardship, he's unwilling to hold back anything that might be profitable 
for their relationship and knowledge of God. I mean, one of the greatest temptations that a preacher in any day can face uh, is, is to tailor your message to what people want to hear, or at least to not say the things they don't want to hear, to hold back and, and uh, leave those things out, uh, especially if you know that you're going to be opposed or mocked for saying things they don't want to hear or praised and applauded for saying things they do want to hear. That's a huge temptation in any age. But look again at what Paul says in verse 20. You yourselves know how I did not shrink back from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did not limit his message based on his audience or revise it based on his critics. He preached the whole counsel of God. Look at what he says in verse 26. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Think about the implications of what he just said. If the shepherd willfully withholds or alters God's word and people sin following that counsel, that shepherd is guilty of the blood of his flock. He's responsible. That's a terrifying standard. But that's what Paul says here. It, it, that, that shepherd becomes like the doctor who, who knew that the people were terminally ill and had the cure, but who refused to give it for you know, fear of, of being mocked or criticized or thought ill of. He would be guilty for what happens to them. That's, that's the calling here. There's a holy responsibility to preach what God says, and Paul dared not shrink back. Whatever the cost, he was resolved to finish his course and proclaim the gospel of God's grace. And so what is the first measure of faithful leadership of a shepherd who has fully discharged his duties to the flock? The first measure is preaching the full counsel of God. And, and as you think about the shepherd ministry of the elders here at Westgate, and as you think about uh, what you're looking for in your next lead pastor, make sure you, prior you prioritize the faithful proclamation of God's Word. That's the first standard. I mean, pastors are more than preachers. They're more than preachers. They're leaders they're trainers, they're counselors, they're mentors, they're supervisors, they're planners, they're often husbands and fathers and neighbors and so on. They're more than preachers. But a lead pastor whose primary responsibility is to feed the flock among him must be a faithful preacher of God's Word. Uh, in the preaching workshops that I often attend and sometimes instruct at, we have a lesson that's called staying on the line. There's a line of Scripture that you can imagine. 
And the obligation of the preacher is not to go above the line and say more than what Scripture says, or go below the line and say less than what Scripture says, but to stay on the line and say what Scripture says, which is what God says. I mean, you think about the oath that a witness will make when they have to take the stand. You, know, you raise your right hand, you put your hand on the Bible. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? That's the preacher's oath, to tell the truth, to preach the word, to tell the whole truth, to not go below the line and leave something out, to preach the whole counsel of God, and to tell nothing but the truth, to not go above the line and add something that's not there, to revise or correct, so, so to speak, in any way. Uh, that's one of the reasons that one of our core commitments at Westgate is biblical exposition. Uh, which can mean a lot of different things to a lot of people, but essentially it means that the message of the sermon is driven by the message of the Bible passage that's open in front of you. That the preacher's job is to say what God's Word is saying, not to improve upon it, not to uh, take away from it, but to preach the Word. That's one of the reasons that we prioritize working through whole books of the Bible in our preaching diet. Um, Rather than bouncing around to a topic that I'm interested in or something that's, you know, kind of relevant to the latest headline or, or trending, uh, you know, and so on and so forth. And, and there's a place to some of that. Uh, we do topically oriented sermons on occasion, but, but working primarily through whole books forces us to preach the whole counsel of God because it doesn't allow me to pick and choose what I want to talk about or to avoid what I don't want to. If we're working through the book, that's what we've got to talk about, preaching the whole counsel of God. If, it, if this is going to be a healthy transition, and I believe it will be, uh, we have phenomenal uh, elders and a great search team and a great congregation who's all been encouraging and praying and, and, and uh, contributing um, I believe it will be healthy, but if it's going to be healthy, Westgate must continue to hold forth to the priority of the faithful proclamation of God's Word. We must be committed to it. That's the first mark of faithful leadership. The second standard that Paul holds up before the Ephesian elders is seen in the specific charge that he gives them in verses 28 to 31, which is the careful shepherding of God's flock, the careful shepherding of God's flock. So in, in 28, in verse 28, Paul kind of transitions from talking about his own life and example to now instructing the elders on what they're supposed to do. This is where he gives them their charge. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. So this is the actual handoff, the leadership responsibilities being passed on from Paul to the elders. And as he hands that baton, he specifies three things here. The essential responsibility of elders, their immediate task, and their urgent threat that's before them. So in terms of just the broad picture, the big picture, the essential responsibility of the elders. 
it is to care for, or more literally, to shepherd the flock. That's what he says. Now, there's three words in this passage that we need to understand in order to kind of take on board what Paul says about elder leadership. Um, The first is elder in verse 17. He summons the elders. Uh, Then he calls them overseers in verse 28 and charges them to shepherd uh, in verse 28. The word shepherd is often translated care for. So in the ESV, the word care for, that's the word shepherd. And that's also incidentally where we get our English word pastor. So pastor is simply the Latin word for shepherd. So, so if you put all of that together, elder and overseer are two words that talk about the same leadership office in the New Testament. We see that here. We see that in Titus 1, where Paul uses the words interchangeably. He says to Titus to appoint elders in every church in, in Titus 1.5 who carry certain qualifications because as an overseer, verse 7, they've got certain responsibilities. So he uses the words interchangeably. Peter does the same thing in 1 Peter 5. Paul does the same thing in our passage. He summons the elders in verse 17. He calls them overseers in verse 28. So that's two words for the same spiritual leadership office. But their essential responsibility, so that's what they're called. What do they do? What they do is care for or shepherd the flock of God, verse 28. They are called to be shepherds. Elders are pastors, to use the Latin word. They're pastors. And, you know, today we often use the word pastor to refer to, you know, a special office in leadership, like me and Bruce and and, and Travis were pastors, right? Biblically speaking, all elders are pastors. We happen to make our living doing it. That's the difference. That's the difference. We, you know, pastors will, will, pastors as we use the term today, they'll often have more specified training, uh, more availability because they've been set apart to do this full time uh, and therefore often unique or specific responsibilities. But when it comes to the leadership and oversight of the church, pastors and elders are the same. Uh, we, I have no more authority than any other elder in this church. We have a team. And, uh, and so it's the elders who share that shepherding responsibility of the flock. And you think about, what does that mean then? What are the pastors and elders, the shepherds, what are they supposed to do? Well, what does a shepherd do? A shepherd needs to know the flock, right? They need to know who the congregation is, what's going on in their lives. A shepherd needs to lead the flock, to provide direction, guidance, oversight. A shepherd needs to feed the flock, the faithful proclamation of God's word. And a shepherd needs to protect the flock, to guard their spiritual health and well-being. That's the essential responsibility, to shepherd the flock of God. The immediate task that Paul focuses on is the last of those four, you know, know, lead, feed, protect. He drills down in now. He started with talking about feeding the flock. Now he talks about protecting it. And that's the second thing that he points out. Their immediate task is to protect the flock. Look again at verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. And again in verse 31, therefore, be alert. Paul is calling these 
elders, these shepherds, to a certain vigilance. They need to be on their guard and alert, not just of the flock, but of themselves. And that's because there's an urgent threat among this congregation. There's an urgent threat that he specifies in verse 29. That's the third thing he specifies. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's kind of a, that's a sobering goodbye speech, right? After I'm out of here, it's going to get harder. There are people, it, it's, it's sad but unsurprisingly uh, true that there are those for whom a leadership platform like pastoring or eldering is simply an opportunity to make much of themselves. There are those who would take that responsibility and use it for selfish means. Those who would use the flock rather than serve and shepherd the flock. Those who would draw, whose goal is to draw people after themselves rather than point them to Christ and who are willing to twist God's word to do so. That is a sad, but not very surprising reality. Because I think all of us have seen that done or know of that happening. And so Paul says, watch out. Be alert. Pay careful attention, not just to the flock, but to your own souls, to yourselves. He says something similar to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. So notice that, not just on your doctrine, but on yourself. Keep a close watch on yourself and on what you teach. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. The flock needs the elders to guard them. That's what God has entrusted them with the responsibility to do. And if they don't do that job, everyone suffers. That's what Paul's saying. Everyone suffers. And so the second mark of a faithful leader is careful shepherding of God's flock. And again, what does that therefore mean for Westgate as we enter transition? Well, it clearly means that our elders have a pretty holy and heavy responsibility on them, right? That means we need to be praying for them to do that faithfully and well, um, to guard the spiritual well-being of the church through this transition and beyond, as well as to continue leading and feeding the flock. It's a holy responsibility. That's why the elders have, have uh, sought to pray regularly through this. That's why they are trying to make themselves available to all of you to listen, to hear. Uh, it's why we've worked hard to put together a good interim staff plan for, uh, uh, during the interim season for the ongoing care and ministries of Westgate. So, and I think all of you know this already, but in just a few weeks, Travis is going to graduate from Gordon-Conwell. And for the interim, he's coming on full-time to help share the leadership load of the pastoral ministry at Westgate. So he and Bruce are going to quarterback our pastoral leadership through this interim. And in order to help free Bruce up for some of that, Heidi Hart's coming back on 
part-time to help run our kids' journey ministry. We have a phenomenal staff team in place to quarterback this transition, and they are godly servants and are going to do a great job. So, and there's been a lot of prayer and intention that's gone into that. Elders have worked hard on that. So, so pray for them and, and, and in their responsibility, but this also, this second mark of, of faithful ministry leadership also has implications for the kind of pastor you're looking for. Not someone who's going to use this position to make much of himself. That's not the kind of person you're looking for. Someone who sees leadership as a chance to build his own platform and draw people to himself or someone who will take advantage of others. You want someone who's eager to serve the flock, not use it. Someone who will follow the pattern of Paul who's following the pattern of Christ laying his life down for the sheep. Um, He's not going to be perfect, and you should not expect him to be perfect, or you will crush him. Don't do that. But he ought to be driven not by his own personal ambition, but by the glory of God and the good of his people. That must be his passion. He must be a careful shepherd. So that first mark, faithful proclamation of God's word. The second careful shepherding of God's flock. And that brings us to the third and final mark in Paul's speech, which is dependence on God and the word of his grace. A shepherd who depends on God and the word of his grace. That's where Paul lands his speech in 32 to 35. He, he does so by reviewing the foundation for faithful gospel ministry, identifying both the power and the pattern for that. The power for faithful gospel ministry comes from God and the word of his grace. That is what he commends the elders to. That's what he points them to, what you must depend on. Verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He wants them to understand this is not a task you can do on your own. You're not clever enough, you're not strong enough, and you don't have enough time. You must depend on God. Only God can build up His church. Only God can bring His church safely home, giving us the inheritance for which we were redeemed. And and God is the one who supplies that strength through his word of grace. Notice how he commends them to God and to the word of his grace. The word of his grace, the the word of the gospel. It is not what we do for God that ultimately matters. It's what God has done for us in giving his son, who lived for our righteousness, who died for our sins, and who rose for our life. That is the power And that's true whether you are beginning a journey with Christ or growing or leading. That is true all uh, through the whole scope of our journey. The health of the church requires the faithful ministry of God's word. And And that applies not just to the flock, that applies to the shepherds as well. They must depend on the very word that they preach. 
because shepherds are not above the flock. They are sheep. They're part of the flock. And they must depend on the gospel of God's grace just like everyone else. Uh, In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that it's ultimately the gospel of of God's grace that qualifies someone for leadership. Uh, Who is sufficient for these things? He asks that question in in 2 Corinthians 2.16. He's talking about pastoral leadership. He says, who is sufficient for these things? And the implied answer there is, no one. No one is sufficient for these things. But then he comes to chapter 3, verse 4. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. So the foundation for faithful gospel ministry is God himself and his word of grace. That's the foundation. But depending on God and his word doesn't mean that the Ephesian elders can therefore just kind of kick back and let God take it from here, do all of the work. Uh, Dependence is not laziness. It is faith. And that's a very big difference. Faith that fuels hard work for God and his kingdom. So the power comes from God, but the pattern Paul gives them is hard work. That's what he points out in the close of his speech. Hard work to care for his own needs, because in his context, even though he could have depended on their gifts. He had the right to do that as a minister of God's Word. He chose not to do that and instead to provide for his own needs and the needs of others in hard work in caring for the flock itself. Verse 35, he says, "...in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so again, you think about that foundation of faithful leadership, God and His Word of grace. What does that mean for us at Westgate? Well, it means that my fellow elders have hard work to do. This is a season of heavy lifting. Um, It's a busy season, caring for the flock, shepherding through transition. But it means remembering that God is the one who does the heavy lifting. It's hard work, but God is the one who supplies the strength. This is not on you. This is Christ's church, purchased with His blood. And He's the only one who can move us forward and ultimately bring us home. And so, Depend on Him and His Word of grace. That's my charge to our elders. Depend on God and His Word of grace. For the congregation, again, it means praying for those elders in the hard work that they have to do as they depend on God, but also it means submitting to the Word of God faithfully proclaimed. So don't just expect your leaders who preach to preach faithfully uh, Expect to obey the word when it's faithfully preached. We all have work to do. There's no such thing as depending on God without obeying God. A 
faithful church is an obedient church, a church that depends on God and His gospel and obeys His word by faith. Don't think that because we're in transition, ministry and life and walking with Jesus goes on hold. God is at work. He is present among us. He is leading this church. And so even as you expect your leaders to follow Him, follow Him with them. Keep following Him. And then finally, as regards the kind of pastor that you're looking for, you want someone who is diligent, who works hard, who's not lazy, who's willing to lay his life down, but you also want someone who is dependent on the very gospel he preaches to you. So search team, elders, congregation, if you can't tell from your interviews or listening to sermons or conversations that this pastor knows that he needs the very word he's preaching. If you can't tell that, keep looking. Keep looking. Do not settle for the dazzle of someone who appears to have it all together if they don't see their need for God's grace. Trust God to supply a man who knows his need for the gospel and who is unashamedly dependent on it for every aspect of life. Someone who knows that but for the grace of God, he would be bankrupt and useless to you all. That's what you want to look for. Again, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. The health of the church requires the faithful ministry of God's Word. May we remain committed to that faithful, Word-driven ministry, not just in transition, but beyond. Let's pray. Gracious God, how we need your word. How desperately we need your word. God, I thank you for the leadership that you have raised up here at Westgate, for their commitment to your word, for their commitment to you, their desire to shepherd this flock. Lord, we know we don't do it perfect, but Lord, uh, we thank you that you are at work. And I pray for our elders, especially um, as they have this task before them, Lord, uh, that you would be their strength, that you would be their guide. And I pray that that would be true, not just for our elders, but for those serving on the, on the succession planning team, that, that, that you would give them a great spirit of unity to zero in on the kind of faithful leadership you call us to in Scripture, to see that embodied in someone whom you are calling here. And Lord, I pray that for the congregation as well, Lord. We're a congregational church. We all have a responsibility in discerning your will and identifying the leaders whom you are raising up here. Lord, may we all be committed to prayer, to conversation, to listening, to sharing ideas. This is a Westgate discernment process, not just the elders. 
And so, Lord, would you unite the hearts of this congregation? And would you keep us from fear in the midst of transition? Would you keep us from anxiety? Would you keep us from zeroing in on personalities? Would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the true shepherd of this church, who is here, who this church bought with his blood? Lord, would we keep our eyes fixed on you? And would you be pleased to continue the care for this flock, and not just the care, but a vibrant ministry of gospel witness here in New England, God? May Christ truly, deeply be treasured above all things in this congregation and among throughout Metro West Boston through the influence of this congregation and others. To the very ends of the earth, God, would you do your work in this flock? Thank you that Christ is faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.